Well, uh, like I said, uh, we've been in, in the book of Proverbs, and we've been talking about wisdom, and we said that wisdom is skill in regard to the realities of life. There's a lot of things that you may be uh, skilled at in life, a skilled banker, skilled coach, or a skilled musician. Uh, the question is, are you skilled at life? And wisdom uh, is all about uh, understanding the world that we live in and learning how to, to go with the grain of reality. Can you do that? And so we've talked about a lot of different things. We've talked about trusting God. We talked about counsel. Uh, we talked about forgiveness. And today we're going to talk about another piece of wisdom. And uh, we're going to see from the Proverbs uh, that wisdom teaches about the value of friendship. So today we're going to talk about the value of friendship. And I want to begin with a question Do you have friends? Do you really have friends? It's, it's an important question because uh, I think that our culture doesn't value friendship the way that it should. C.S. Lewis, uh, in his book, The Four Loves, famously uh, said this. He said, to the ancients, friendships seemed the highest and most fully human of all loves, the crown of life and the school of virtue. The modern world, in comparison, ignores it. I think that's right. If you go into the grocery store and you look at the glossy pages of the magazines, are you going to see who is best friends with who? No, you see who's, who's in love with who, who's dating who, who's romantically involved with who, because we value romantic love. After all, we do have a holiday dedicated to romance. You look at all the songs that we sing. How many songs are there about romantic love? How many songs are there about friendship? Really not that many. And so this is just true in the culture. We undervalue friendship. And it's not just true in the, in the secular world. This is uh, very much true in the Christian world. So if you go into a Christian bookstore and go into the relationship section, you will find books on parenting, you will find books on marriage, a whole bunch of books on marriage. You'll find books on uh, Christian dating. There are very, very, very few books, Christian books on friendship. So it's something we don't really value in the church either. And it's important to talk about this, uh, this idea of friendship uh, because our devaluing of friendship is taking its toll on us. Uh, I don't have to convince anybody that, that in our culture today, there is a loneliness epidemic. Last year, Theresa May made news when she appointed a loneliness minister in the UK. So based on a study in which 9 million Brits, that's 20% of their population, identified as lonely. And her statement to the press was that for far too many people, loneliness is the sad reality of modern life. And maybe that's your sad reality this morning. The rates of loneliness are far higher in the U.S., so 30% of Americans say that they are chronically lonely. Uh, last year, former Surgeon General Dr. Vivek Murthy, in an article for the Harvard Business Review, wrote, During my years caring for patients, the most common pathology I saw was not heart disease or diabetes, but loneliness. In fact, he says, loneliness is the great pathology of our lives today. And, and we all know that COVID has not made that easier. Uh, the social isolation in 2020 has, has made many of us uh, disconnected from the ones that we love and more socially isolated. And so uh, our devaluing of, of, of friendship, uh, putting it on the back burner, has created an epidemic of loneliness in the, in, in the, in the world. 
and maybe in your life. Another reason why it's important to talk about friendship is because, honestly, uh, many of us are just not very good at it. We're just not very good at it as adults. You know, it's a lot easier for many of us to make friends as kids. You know, you're thrown together on the playground. uh, You bond over favorite TV shows. But when you grow up, life gets a lot more complicated, doesn't it? We're so busy. I mean, who has time for friendship? We're splitting our lives between marriage and parenting and work and church. And really, friendship is just kind of squeezed out of our busy schedules. Uh, We live in a mobile society, and so friends move away uh, quicker than you can make them. And so because people are moving around and you're moving around, it's like this this web is not being created because uh, we just don't spend enough time with one another. A lot of us are too broken for friendships. Uh, We're not good at it because we've been hurt in the past and we're dealing with wounds and we don't trust people the way that we should. We're all kind of off, a little off balance and kind of weird. It's just really hard to find people that you connect with. And this is why when we open up the book of Proverbs, there's all sorts of things about the value of friendship. In summary, what the Proverbs says is that a wise person chooses, forges, and keeps terrific friendships. Wise people place a high premium on friendship and they know the art of forging a good one. And so today I want to look at friendship in Proverbs and just kind of look, kind of give a summary of what it teaches. We're going to look at three things today. Uh, Number one, we're going to see what the Proverbs says about the need for friendship. And then we're going to talk about the marks of friendship. And then finally, about the cultivation of friendship. How do you forge one? How do you create one? And so first, uh, let's jump into it and talk about the need for friendship according to the Proverbs. We'll start in uh, Proverbs 18.1. It says, whoever isolates himself seeks his own desire. He breaks out against all sound judgment. So whoever isolates himself or herself seeks his or her own desire. They break out against all sound judgment. Uh, have you ever seen the old uh, Frankenstein movie where uh, the Frankenstein says, friends, good, alone, bad. That's the message of the Proverbs in a nutshell. If you isolate yourself, you're being really, really foolish. Why is this? It's because you were created to need friendships. Uh, Way back in the book of Genesis, uh, there's a famous little line that says, it is not good for the man to be alone. I will make him a helper suitable for him. So here's, here's the scene. Adam is in paradise. He's in a perfect environment. He is, uh, has a perfect relationship with God. And uh, God has said everything is in creation is good. And then we get to the first malediction in the Bible. He says, it is good, it is good, it is good. And he looks at the man and he says, it is not good that man is alone. Man cannot enjoy paradise without friends. And this is why Tim Keller says, to need and desire friendships is not a sign of spiritual immaturity, but of maturity. Not a sign of weakness, but of health. Adam was not lonely because he was imperfect, but because he was perfect. The ache for friends is the only ache that is not the result of sin. Adam could not enjoy paradise without friends. You were built for friends. It's deep within the fabric of your DNA. It's what it means to be human. You were not meant to be alone. 
Here's another reason why the Proverbs tells us we need friends. We need friends, uh, second of all, because the troubles of life require friends. Uh, Life is filled with trouble. As sparks fly fly upward, man's life is filled with trouble. Uh, Cancer diagnosis has come into your life, and and, uh, death of a spouse may come into your life. A financial uh, breakdown comes into your life. Marriage hardship comes into your life. Your life is filled with inevitable trouble. Every single one of us faces it. And here's the trouble. Here's the trouble with trouble. Is when you're in trouble, you need friends. And you don't know you need friends so often until it's too late. Very few people walk around saying, I love air. Oh, where would I be without air? Well, where would my brain be without air? I couldn't think without, without air. I couldn't read without air. Nobody feels that way about air until they're underwater. And then it's like, where, where's the air? And people don't walk around seeing how desperately they need friends until they are emotionally and personally underwater. And then you discover you haven't spent the time developing the networks of friends that will shore you up when the inevitable trouble comes. It's too late. Wise people build that network and they bring people into their lives for the inevitable trouble that's going to come. Because uh, Ecclesiastes 4, 9, and 10 says this, better are, uh, two are better than one because they have a good reward for their toil. For if they fall, one will lift up his fellow. But woe to him who is alone when he falls and has not another to lift him up. Woe to him who is alone when he falls when the marriage falls, when the health falls, when the finances fall, woe to the one who is alone when he falls because there's nobody to pick that person back up again. Who do you call when the car breaks down? Who do you call when the marriage breaks down and you need counsel? Who do you call when the finances are down and you need help? You know, a lot of people in our culture pay for towing services, they pay for counseling services, they pay for things that f- people with friends get for free. It's called social capital. We need friends because of trouble. Now, somebody says, well, this is why I'm married. My spouse is my friend. All I need is my spouse. Why do I need friends? I've got a best friend in my marriage. Well, yeah, but, but what do you do when the marriage falls apart? Are there friends of the marriage? Is there somebody outside of the marriage? Is there somebody who's not part of that family who can shore up the family when, the, when there are struggles within the home? A Proverbs 27.10 says, Do not forsake your friend or, your, or, or, your, the, or a friend of your family. Do you have a friend for, of your family? And do not go to your relative's house when disaster strikes you. Better is a friend nearby than a relative far away. Here's another reason why we need friends. We need friends because personal transformation happens only through friendship. Uh, Nobody grows alone. Without friends, you are going to remain spiritually immature, emotionally immature. Uh... In order to to really grow, you need friends. Because Proverbs 27, 17 says this, as iron sharpens iron, so a man sharpens the countenance of his friend. So a friend is like iron sharpening iron. 
Uh, It's because all of us have blind spots. There are things in your life, character flaws, that you do not see. You're blind to those things. And you need somebody on the outside who cares enough about you to tell you when you're wrong. To tell you when you're headed for disaster because you can't see it. We have prejudices that we can't see. There are some of you who vent on Facebook about the other side of the political aisle. And it is so easy when that's one way, but do you have a friend who actually disagrees with you politically? It is much more difficult to disagree with something you don't agree with when you know somebody that you don't agree with. When that, that political view has skin on and they can challenge you. Because if you don't have that, you're just never going to grow. You're not going to grow spiritually without a friend because it's two ways. Spiritual growth happens two, two ways. Uh, you can listen to a podcast and you can consume content. You can listen to a sermon or a lecture or read a book, but that's all one way. It's great, but it's all one way. Do you have a friend where that dialogue can go two ways? who can encourage you, who can tell you the truth, who can give you counsel. Last week, uh, Sam talked about counsel. Uh, Proverbs 27.9 says, oil and perfume make the heart glad, and the sweetness of a friend comes from his earnest counsel. And uh, another reason why uh, you can't grow without a friend is because friends are the best counselors. They know your history. They know your inner topography. They love you. They could speak into your life so much better than a paid counselor can. You may need a professional, but that is no substitute for a friend. Do you have friends? Do you really have friends? You need them. Well, let's ask the question, what are the marks of a friendship? So in the Proverbs, uh, it tells us not only that we need friends, but it gives us the marks of a friendship. And this is a really important question, what is the mark of a friend? Because uh, we all have people in our lives. We all know people friendly people. We all know uh, people at work. We all know people at church. We all know people, um, you know, on the, on the soccer field or whatever. And my question is not so much do you know people, but do you have friends? You have a lot of people in your life, but are, are they friends? Because you should never mistake friendly people for friends. In the South, everybody's friendly. But are they friends? I, was, I got a call last week from a man on the phone, and he, was, he called me by my first name. He was super friendly. He spoke to me in, in warm, personal terms, and he was really concerned about, about my student loans. And, and he was all interested in my student loans and if I was gonna pay, be able to pay them back, and he wanted to sell me a product that would help me pay back my student loans. And when I told him I wasn't interested, oh, the friendship was over. He hung up very quickly after that. You may have friendly people in your life, but are they friends? Are they really friends? What does a friend look like? Well, uh, the book of Proverbs gives us some marks, so let's look at a few. So uh, one mark of a true friend is commonality. Uh, A friend is somebody who shares your deepest values. You have the deepest and most important things in common. Um... Ralph Waldo uh, Emerson said, friends do not ask, do you love me, so much as they ask, do you love the same truth as I do? Friends are different than lovers. Lovers are face-to-face, 
And they're always talking about their love for one another. Friends are side by side. They're going in the same direction. They're on the same mission. They're on the same journey. They've got the same purpose. They have the same values. They share the same passions with one another. C.S. Lewis said, uh, kind of bluntly, he said, this is why uh, those pathetic people who simply want friends can never make any. The very condition for having friends is that you want something else besides friends. If someone asks you, do you, have, do you share the same truth? And your honest answer is, I don't really care about that. I just want you to be my friend. Then no friendship can arise. There would be nothing for the friendship to be about. Those who have nothing share nothing. Those who are going nowhere can, can have no fellow travelers. A friend is a fellow traveler. They're going in the same direction. And this is why uh, Proverbs uh, thirteen twenty says, "He who walks with the wise, uh, he who walks with the wise will become wise, but the companion of fools will be destroyed." The proverb is saying, "Choose a friend who is going in the same direction as you are. If you're wise or you want to be wise, don't be a companion of the fool. You don't share the same values. You're not walking together. You're not on the same path. Friends are people on the same path." A great example of this is David and Jonathan, a celebrated friendship in the Old Testament. First, we meet Jonathan, and Jonathan is one of these guys. He is a courageous, he's a risk taker, he's willing to risk everything for God's glory. He'll battle an entire army by himself. He just had that sort of gusto. Later on in the story, we meet David. And David is a risk taker. He's willing to do anything for God. And so one day he's, he's carrying some food to his brothers on the battlefield and he sees Goliath taunting the people of Israel. And he's willing to go out there and fight the giant alone with his shepherd pants on. The shepherds have pants that are specific. I don't not know. But he's just bold. He's got gusto. And when Jonathan, Jonathan sees David, it says their hearts were knit together. He loved David as his own soul. Why? Because he saw in David a shared passion. Do you have somebody in your life that shares your deepest values? The best friendships are the ones where you, your deepest values align. C.S. Lewis says uh, the beginning of a friendship usually begins with, oh, you too? I thought I was the only one. Friendship is uh, first built on commonality. The deeper the commonality, the deeper the friendship. Second of all, a friendship is marked by constancy. Proverbs 17, 17 says, a friend loves at all times. It also says in 19.4, wealth adds many friends, but a poor man is separated from his friends. So uh, friends love you when the chips are up. They also love you when the chips are down. They're constant. They're there through thick and thin. The most beautiful picture of this is in um, the Lord of the Rings uh, series. Do you remember Frodo? Frodo, he's, he's surrounded by this band of friends, and they're on their way to destroy the ring of, of power. And they stop at Merry and Pippin's house to spend the night. And in the middle of the night, Frodo realizes this journey is way too difficult. I can't take my friends on this. They're going to die. This means certain death. I'm not going to bring my friends into death like this. And so he gets up early in the morning. His plan is to leave without them so that they're not in trouble. But when he gets up in the morning, the lights bang on and all of his friends are awake. 
and they're ticked off. And Samwise says this, you can trust us to stick with you through thick and thin to the bitter end. And you can trust us to keep any secret of yours closer than you keep it yourself. But you cannot trust us to let you face trouble alone and to go off without a word. We are your friends, Frodo. And this is a friend. They will not let you face trouble alone. Do you have anybody like that in your life? who calls you in your darkest hours, who's with you, who's going to stick by you. When everything falls apart, because friendship is marked by constancy. You see this in David and Jonathan too, because their friendship began with a commonality. But you remember uh, David's life pretty quickly went into the toilet. And he was on the road, run, and living in caves, And there, in the middle of all that, Jonathan would show up, and it says that he would strengthen David and encourage him. He'd say, you're anointed to be the king. I don't don't care what it looks like now. It's going to happen. Keep on going. Keep on trying. Keep on working. Do you have people in your life that will do that? It's constancy. Friendship is also marked by candor. I love Proverbs 27, uh, 5 and 6. It says, better is open rebuke than hidden love. Faithful are the wounds of a friend. And profuse are the kisses of an enemy. A lot of people have fans. Few people have friends. The difference is a fan is going to tell you what you want to hear all the time. A friend is going to tell you the truth when you need to hear it. A friend is somebody, candor means honesty. A friend is someone that you could be honest with. You you let them in. You always let them in and you allow them to see the mess. Anita's got a really good friend and uh, she, one time she went over to her friend Debbie's house and uh, the, her, Debbie's house was a total mess. And her husband said, Anita's coming over. What do you want me to do? What do you want me to pick up? I'll, I'll help you get the place clean. And Debbie said, don't worry, it's just Anita. And that wasn't an insult, that was a compliment. She was saying, it's Anita. I let Anita see the mess. I let her into the house when it's a disaster. Friends you are allowed to see the, the, the worst parts of you. Also, friends are, are willing to speak into the worst parts of you. Like I said, uh, they're not fans. They're going to risk being liked by you to tell you what you need to hear. Is there anybody in your life that you've given a hunting license to? And you've deputized them to take aim and shoot if they need to. That's a friend marked by candor and honesty. It's very rare. So let's ask the third question, and that is, how do we cultivate a friendship? These are, the Proverbs talks a lot about these things, and they're beautiful when you look at them. But how do we, how do we make friends like this? You might say, you know, honestly, Brent, I I have been too busy for friends. My life doesn't have room for people like this. Um, I have been afraid to let people in. How do I cultivate friendships then? What does that look like? Let me give you a few uh, practicals here uh, as we kind of move to the end section of the sermon. First of all, if you want to have friendships, I want to encourage you to be intentional. If you want friendships, you've got to schedule them into your calendar. It's as simple as that. Look at your calendar 
and ask yourself, do I have room for friends? You've got business there, you've got the parenting, you've got marriage, you've got everything. Have you created space to cultivate a real friendship? John Ortberg says this, people rarely drift into deep friendships. Psychologist Alan McGinnis notes that rule number one for entering into deep friendships sounds deceptively simple. Assign top priority to your friendships. Ironically, we tend to devote massive amounts of time to making money, running errands, and succeeding at our jobs, but we neglect giving our most valuable possession, time, to the experience for which we were created. Friendship. It's not good for a man to be alone. Are you making space in your calendar for friendship? Do you value it? Is it important to you? If you are wise, if you have skill at life, if you understand the way the world works, you will make space for deep friendships. This is what wise people do. Here, let me give you another thing to do. I want to encourage you to be interested in something bigger than yourself. Be interested in something bigger than yourself. Remember, C.S. Lewis says, if all you care about yourself is, is yourself and having a friend, you'll never have a friend. To have really deep friendships, you've got to care about something bigger than just friendship. Are you on a mission? Do you have a purpose? Do you have deep values? Are you serving the Lord? Because if you are, you'll be doing that thing and you'll look around at the people that are doing it with you. Those are going to be your friends. If you're not going anywhere and you're not doing anything, well, that's when friendship becomes hard. And so ask yourself the question, where do I love to serve Jesus? Do you love going to our Father's table? On a Saturday going and serving the, home, the, the, the needy and, and giving people food? Look around you. Who's doing that with you? Those are your companions. Those are the people that are fellow uh, people on the journey. Do you love uh, being creative and serving God on the worship band, playing the drums and the guitar, singing? Chances are those are the people that are gonna be your closest friends, the people that you're serving with. Do you love people? Are you an extrovert and you're serving on the welcome team and you're getting up early on a Sunday and, and, and caring about visitors and making sure that people feel welcome here? Well, the people that also care about that will probably be your deepest friends. What do you care about? What's interesting is I, I, love, I love books and I love um, sermons and my deepest friends are people that love books and sermons. What do you love? What are you passionate about? What mission are you on? The people that are on that miss mission with you will be your deepest friends. Just like David and Jonathan, they both were risk takers who just would, they were willing to do anything for God's honor and glory. And their hearts were knit together. Let me give you another thing to do. Uh, be willing to pay the price. Be willing to pay the price. Because a friendship like this always comes with a cost. In our culture, we value autonomy, don't we? We value freedom at all costs. It's our highest value. But listen, you cannot have autonomy, complete autonomy, and friendship at the same time. Friendship is going to cost you autonomy. 
You're gonna, in order to get into a really good friendship, you're gonna have to lose some, some of your freedom. And some of us are just not willing to pay that cost. Whether it's because we've been hurt in the past and we're just not willing to give up anything for, for that again, or whether we're, we're just so committed to our jobs that we're willing to just go anywhere and it doesn't matter. You've gotta be able to pay the price, to, to understand the cost and be willing to pay it if you're gonna have a good friend. There was uh, an article that I read uh, in preparation for this sermon in Esquire magazine, and it was called The Friend, Love is Not a Big Enough Word. That was the name of the article. And, the, and I think I'll, I'll link the article on Facebook in the, in the uh, comment section of the sermon today. But it was written by Matthew Tigg, and he tells the story about how in... Uh, 2012, his wife, 34 years old, came down with terminal cancer, stomach cancer. And it was just everywhere. It was all over her body. The doctor said, he said, he said it was like if you got a paintbrush and just, you know, sh- you know, flung it at your body and cancer was just all over the place. And the article was honestly really hard to read because he just walks through the ugly journey of terminal cancer. And he just describes her body and he describes what happened to her mind and he described, he had two little girls and he described what it was like to have to tell them that, she, that mama was dying. And he said, he said, I didn't handle it very well. And he said, he said, my, he said I just, he said, I couldn't go on anymore when um, our dog got cancer after my wife got cancer and the dog died. And he says, at that moment, my friend Dane called me. Dane was a family friend. He was a friend of the family. And he was somebody that, that him and his wife had met in college and, and th- he would stay at their house in college. They were just really good buds. And, and Dane called and said, hey, you're not doing very well. And so Dane said, this is what I'm gonna do. He sold his home and he left his life in Louisiana, left his job, and he moved in with Matthew Tigg to help him take care of his wife and his family. He actually left a really good romantic relationship to do that. So he moves in and he's taking care of the kids and he's, he just walks with his friend all the way to the point where his wife passes away. And so at the, in this article, there's this, this one little quote that stuck with me. He said this, he said, it was a routine death in, in, in every sense. It was ordinary, common, it was tragic, but death like this happens all the time in our world. He said, the only remarkable element was Dane. I had married into this situation, but how had he gotten there? Love is not a big enough word. He stood and faced the reality of death for my sake. He is my friend. So, Love like this comes at an incredible cost. He, was, he faced the reality of death for my sake. Are you willing to do that for anybody else in this world? Outside of your marriage, is there somebody in your life that's your true friend, constant, candor, commonality? What Proverbs says is wise people value this sort of thing. They know that you, you can't face trouble without it, You can't grow spiritually without it. You were built for this. God wove this into the fabric of your creation. 
Do you have friends? Uh, The final thing I want to encourage you to do is be deeply aware of God's friendship for you because you might be saying, well, I don't know how to do this, Brent. I've been hurt in the past and and, you know, it's great that, that Matthew Teague had a Dane to love him like that. I don't have anybody that loves me like that. Actually, you do. All of us do. All of us have a person that was willing to face death for our sake. Jesus. In fact, the way Jesus describes his redemption to us is through this metaphor of friendship. He says, I know, this is John 15, no longer do I call you servants for a servant does not know what his master is doing, but I have called you, what? Friends. For all that I have heard from my father, I have made known to you. He says, I've let you in. I've invited you into my life. Everything that that I have is yours. He was willing to speak the truth to them even when it hurt. And ultimately, he was willing to get up on a cross and die for all of our sakes. All of us have a friend uh, who's willing to lay down his life for us. One of the Proverbs says, uh, there is one, there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. And this is Jesus Christ. He, all of us have a friend who loves us, who knows us and values us, who cares about us. And the proof of that is that he was willing to die for us. And the more you soak in that love, the more you walk with him, remember those who walk with the wise become wise. The more you walk with this perfect friend, the more you will understand and have power to be a friend yourself. So it begins by just soaking in God's love for you, this deep, incredible love that is deeper than romance and deeper than family. It's this incredible dying love that he has for you. And when you, when you understand that, it will help you to love others in the same way. This is an, such an important thing, friendship. And I wanna encourage you Make space in your calendar for this. Don't devalue this. It's so, so crucial. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for the Proverbs that it gives us good wisdom about the value of friendship. And so, God, we thank you that what you've taught us this morning about uh, what it means to be a friend and what it looks like. And I pray that you would help us, Lord. Um, we, we pray for friends. I pray for everybody in this room, including myself. Um, friendships are complicated. A good friend is so hard to find. But I pray that uh, nobody in this room would, would spend a, a significant amount of the rest of their lives without gathering people around them like this. Give us friends. Help us, God, in this autonomous culture that values consumer relationships to be people marked by constancy and candor and commitment. Uh, we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.